Well, hello everybody and welcome back to the wonderful Board of Broward County Commissioners. We are excited to have you here again today. And right now we're about to do the Pledge of Allegiance and I would love the wonderful folks from Stand Strong USA to lead us in it. So thank you. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is customary before the county commission meeting for us to observe a moment of silence to honor people from our community who have recently passed away. Colleagues, do you have anyone you'd like to remember during this moment of silence? Mm -hmm. Commissioner Wexler. Yes, I, I have two individuals that I'm going to recognize this morning. First is Mike Rittering, a former Cooper City resident who was one of 29 people killed in Burkina Faso, Africa during the Al-Qaeda terrorist attack in the capital. Mike was the American missionary who was waiting at a local cafe to pick up a team of 15 short-term missionaries from, a, from the West Pines Community Church in Pembroke Pines. Mike and his wife Amy sold everything and moved to West Africa in 2011 to run an orphanage and a school. Together they cared for about 45 children and provided aid to hundreds of others. They directed two schools, started a program that fed and supported widows, dug several water wells to provide clean water for the um, residents of that area. They also opened a women's crisis center. Mike will be buried in Africa, but there will be a memorial service on Saturday, February 6th at the Hollywood Community Church at 1 p.m. The second person that I'd like to recognize today is Ronald Fox, or otherwise known as Captain Ron. Um, some of you up here may not know Captain Ron, but many of us up here do remember Captain Ron. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was known to us as that, and he was a great animal lover. So much that he earned the reputation for being an animal whisperer. Captain Ron's favorite breed was Doberman Pinscher, but he was committed to the welfare of all animals and lobbied passionately for laws that would save the lives of stray animals in Broward County shelters. And many of us firsthand um, had, had, have firsthand knowledge of his passion and commitment to saving animals in Broward County shelters. His home in Lauderdale Lakes became a temporary or permanent <coughs> shelter for numerous animals in need. He was also relentless when it came to helping people. Captain Ron often collected and distributed food and other supplies for victims of several hurricanes. He was a man of many talents, including an author, photographer, musician, airline pilot, and sea captain. He was 83, and his family requests that in lieu of flowers, donations be made to any recognized animal welfare organization in his name. If you will keep his family in our prayers. Commissioner LaMarca. <clears throat> you know, Commissioner Wexler, the, uh, the gentleman you talked about that went to, was in the mission in Africa, we actually uh, went to school with my brother-in-law. So, I mean, it's amazing how close people's lives are connected. Um, I want to recognize, if I could, uh, Staff Sergeant Louis uh, Caridad uh, from Fort Lauderdale. He was tragically killed in a fire while trying to save his family members. He was, Dominic he was in the Dominican Republic during the holidays attending a family wedding when a storm knocked out the power at the home he was staying in. The candles being used to start started a fire throughout the home rapidly. Unfortunately, the result, result in explosion and the loss of uh, Sergeant Caridad 
uh, and four family members. So if you could keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Um, the next two are very difficult for me, but I'd like, uh, I'd like to make sure that we all remember a, a gentleman who came here many, many times, <laughs> um, who was a uh, World War II uh, survivor of the greatest generation. He was a, a guy who came, to, uh, came down to South Florida at Fort Lauderdale Air Station uh, when we trained at Fort Lauderdale Airport. Um, and he was a, uh, his role was to pack parachutes. Uh, throughout that time, he was in Key West in Fort Lauderdale uh, during World War II. He was in the Navy. And uh, one of his uh, interesting points in life uh, was that he, uh, that he packed the parachute for our 41st president, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, David Epstein, we knew him as Parachute Dave, uh, <clears throat> passed away last week. And uh, we'll, we'll be remembered. Keep his, keep his son Robert in your thoughts and prayers. His, uh, his wife passed a couple years ago, if you recall me bringing that up. <clears throat> Sorry. The other ones were extremely difficult. Um, I think everyone heard the uh, the news on Saturday. Uh, Dr. El Sinati from Broward Health uh, took his life after some difficult uh, difficult things, uh, most likely related to uh, surgery he had. But uh, I want to celebrate uh, a person who ran our health system, who. Uh, who really didn't know how to say no to anybody. He was a uh, he was an emergency medicine uh, chief of emergency medicine at Broward Health uh, for for a number of years. But uh, he was also on the ground uh, with the Broward Sheriff's Office, City of Fort Lauderdale, Sunrise, Tamarack as a medical director. And he wasn't your average medical director. Every city has one. Um, he was a guy that was boots on the ground. He was probably dressed like the firefighters and, and paramedics and and. Uh, uh, that type of thing, because he was really uh, in the trenches with them if something happened. Uh, when he was picked to be uh, the CEO of Broward Health a year, a little over a year ago, it was from a national search. It was not uh, only local folks, and uh, he was a guy that uh, sh shined through the entire process and was doing a great job at Broward Health, got them through a very difficult time. Uh, a lot of things that he inherited, he fixed and cleaned up on a, a very short-term basis. Uh, Dr. El Sanadi was born in Cairo, Egypt, and immigrated with his family in 1969 after winning a lottery for refugees. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a graduate of, as he would say, the Ohio State University Medical School, uh, as well as Case Western. He be began a long career in emergency medicine. Um, he was also my appointment to the Emergency uh, EMS Council, as well as the Health Planning Council. Um, it was funny because he was on the EMS Council when I got appointed to that in my first year, and I asked him if he'd like to be on the Health Planning Council, and he said, if you think it'd be good and they could use my services, I'd love to do it. So I put him on there, and it wasn't a year later, maybe, that he kind of decided, I need to be, in, uh, I need to be on the EMS <laughs> Council. And uh, so we, mo we moved him back over there because that, that was where the action was. Um, if you knew Dr. Elsinati, and I know that uh, Commissioner Wexler with the E911 process, uh, as well as myself and anybody who was involved in that, got to know him a little bit on a personal basis. Um, there are a lot of people alive today because of his, because of his uh, services and talents. Um, I can probably pull five people out of this room right now that said, you know, he saved my so-and-so's life. He helped me in the situation. Um, he was the CEO of the, the healthcare system, but ironically, um, he didn't, 
he never missed a call when someone said, my loved one's in, in uh, Broward General or North Broward, and they're, you know, they, they're, this is what's going on, and he would, have, he would have whatever needed to be done, done, and uh, we'll certainly miss him. I know Broward Health will miss his uh, leadership, but if we could think, uh, take a moment to keep his wife, Lori, uh, in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, she's a wonderful lady. Commissioner Ryan. I'd like to join my colleague, Commissioner Lamarca, to express my condolences to the family of Dr. Alsanati, as well as to the Broward Health family. We are all shocked and saddened by his tragic death. I had the opportunity to meet Dr. Alsanati on a few occasions. We spoke at press conferences related to the public health issues of expanding Medicaid and the threat of FLACA. He was passionate about Broward Health's mission of ensuring that all residents of Broward County had access to high-quality health care. The loss of Dr. Elsinati will be deeply felt in our community, and our sympathies go out to those who knew and loved him. Commissioner Holmes. Yes, I'd also like to join in. I, I think Dr. Elsinati was such a personable <coughs> human being. He, he, he really reached out and touched people, even outside of medicine. We served together on a panel for FLACA late last year. And this year, as a follow-up to our Florida International Trade and Cultural Expo, uh, one of our uh, guests uh, from uh, Italy in the medical field wanted to bring a delegation over from both Italy and France to do business here. Uh, called Dr. Alcinati on the phone, and he said, whatever we need to do to help, we'll be there. Should be hosting this group uh, in the next week at uh, Broward General. So such a kind, gentle person. It's a huge loss to a community. Uh, it, it, is, it is really a loss, a deep loss, I believe, for us. And I join in offering my condolences and, uh, for, to the family. We all do. Ms. Henry, is there anything you'd like to add? As you all know, it's been a while uh, since um, county government has really had uh, a close relationship with the North Broward Hospital District. Uh, we both, we have these organizations and we do a lot of things um, separate and apart, but um, Dr. Elsinati and I uh, talked um, quite a bit about the things that we could do together. And in fact, we have uh, several initiatives underway that I hope that his predecessor would continue. But um, again, um, I, I can't add anything more than that, and, and he truly will be missed in this community. And we also, of course, keep all of our troops and those serving us both abroad and both home and abroad in our thoughts and prayers as well. Okay. This morning, the first song we heard was Already Gone by the Eagles. And the second song was I Fought the Law <laughs> by Clash this afternoon. And this afternoon, we will hear Rebel Rebel by David Bowie. Our song selection was requested by Commissioner Ryan, and those are some excellent songs, Commissioner Ryan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. He, he loved. He, this year, 
I dedicated, I dedicated as the year of good news at each commission and at each commission meeting, we will bring good news to the public by highlighting the successes of our county, the economic engines of small businesses, residents who are good Samaritans, and other positive happenings. This week, County Commissioner Chip Lamarca will bring us good news, and he's honoring, and we're honoring, Stand Strong USA. And in the audience, we have Stan Smith, the COO, Ray Moore, the president, Michael Blank the, from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and our own school board member, Heather Brinkworth. Commissioner Lamarca. Mayor, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> we're originally going to show the video to start, but but I want to. Uh, we'd like to incorporate that into their conversation for today's good news. I want to I want to recognize Stand Strong USA for organizing uh, the events that you'll see more about that happened right here in our community prior to the holidays with positive anti-bullying messages in order to help our kids deal with bullying and the many challenges of being a teenager today. I'd like to call forward our, our, our attendees for today, which they're right behind me, if you would just stand. I want to introduce uh, Stan Smith, who is, as uh, the mayor uh, mentioned, the chief operating officer of Stan Strong. But uh, aside from being a, a good, close personal friend of mine, he's the uh, former spokesman and speechwriter for our, our friend and uh, entrepreneur, Mr. Wayne Heisinga. He also did uh, quite a bit of communications during the, uh, with, the, with the state, uh, with the governor's office during Governor Bush's administration and was the creator of MyFlorida.com. So if you see that on one of the 26 million license plates out there, we can thank Stan for that, for making uh, the, the Internet and government work easier. Uh, he also uh, runs a software company called iShareFreely.com. Uh, the other gentleman, Roy Moore, who we're going to hear from in just a second, is the president of uh, Stan Strong USA, and he'll tell us more about himself. Uh, the other two young people are good friends to our community and to, to me. Uh, one is our school board member, Heather Brinkworth, uh, who took the time to come over here, even though they have a workshop getting ready to start. Uh, she was first appointed and then uh, ran an election, and uh, she's doing a fantastic job for our school board, uh, has a background in, in, uh, in literacy, and uh, did a lot of great work before being on the school board. Uh, the last gentleman, last certainly but not least, the very... Uh, small gentleman behind me, Mike Blanc, is, is, a, is a fellow I met um, for about three years ago uh, through uh, some friends in my community. And uh, we, I, my, the first thing I asked him uh, after I met him through some of the folks at the, the FCA uh, around the holidays, and we don't usually broadcast these things or video them, but you know, we, we go out and, and he helps me uh, touch the community with, with uh, needs and and resources that are that are in need, and uh, he's a wonderful guy. He's a Deerfield Beach Buck, um, I believe they say Buck Pride, and he's also a graduate of Auburn University on the undefeated national championship team. And you'll see one of his former teammates, Cam Newton, playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, but Mike is a uh, is a wonderful guy, and he he works with our high schools and our students, uh, mostly in the uh, athletic programs, but to keep them well grounded in uh, in their faith. So with that being said, I'm going to read the proclamation, and then, Roy, I'd like you to come up and say a few words, if you would. Actually, you guys can come up, I guess. That's what we do. Uh, whereas this, this, the mayor has designated this year as Year of Good News, and at each commission meeting, the commission will bring good news to the public by highlighting the successes of our county, the economic engines of small businesses, residents who are good Samaritans, and other positive happenings. Stand Strong USA 
is a 501c3 organization based in South Florida, and it was started to save lives to end bullying among students in America. Bullying has become a pervasive and unwelcome reality among our youth today, not just in our children's schools, but in the online and technology world as well. Whereas 2013 CDC Teen Risk Behavior Surveillance Report indicates that 19.9% of 9th through 12th grade students in the United States were bullied on school property and 8% attempted suicide one or more times in the past 12 months. Bullying victims are between two and nine times more likely to consider suicide than non-victims, according to studies by Yale University. Nationally, nearly 15% of the 9th through 12th grade graders reported being electronically bullied via email, chat rooms, instant messaging, websites, or texting in the past 12 months. These staggering numbers are what motivated Floridian Roy Moore to take action and do something against the evils of bullying in our schools. As a response to this eye-opening report, Roy began assembling a team whose goal is to save and transform lives among the next generation by addressing the challenges of bullying, depression, and suicide. Whereas saving lives and ending bullying in, the, in Stan Strong's mission is creating awareness for students and parents who identify themselves as needing help after hearing anti-bullying messages is a step one. Is step one. To that end, Stan Strong USA is developing a number of tools that form the SSUSA Digital Bridge, a set of digital tools that connects people of all ages with one-touch resources, whereas depression, anxiety, and other medical, many psychological problems, including fear, can result from school violence, SSUSA promotes training teachers, school officials, and qualified community volunteers to recognize signs that a student might need special attention or help. Whereas not all injuries are visible, exposure to youth violence and school violence can lead to a wide array of negative health behaviors and outcomes, including alcohol and drug use, self-harm, and suicide. Though raising awareness through, raising awareness through Stand Strong USA strives to shine a light on these challenges, enhance knowledge about solutions, and assemble professional service providers to be available 24-7 online and offline. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, the Board hereby recognizes as a part of the Year of Good News, Stand Strong USA in Broward County on January 26, 2016, and I'd uh, like to highlight uh, that you'll see in the video, but we've had uh, numerous events here in Broward County, and um, it's, uh, it, it was very eye-opening to watch, to watch the response from the kids. So, Roy, if you would, I'd uh, let me say a few words, and I'm going to have a proclamation for each of you also. It is yours. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, Commissioners and Mayor. Um, we appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um, as uh, Commissioner Lamarco mentioned, I am Roy Moore. I am the founder of Stand Strong. And as one who uh, has a family who's been greatly affected by this particular issue, you can rest assured that we are squarely focused on making a difference as it relates to bullying and, uh, and seeing kids uh, not make short-term decisions, or pardon me, not, not make a long-term decision for a short-term problem. We, we want to uh, share with you today a little bit about how lives were changed last November 3rd through November 6th. That's when Stan Strong orchestrated a tour through Florida, beginning up in or Orlando, finishing up in Miami Beach, where in eight presentations, uh, Nick Vujicic, a noted speaker on bullying-related matters, um, offered uh, hope to those who are being bullied, encouragement to those who are bystanders and perhaps were being silent, encouraging them to speak up, and also 
to call into account the bullies that are acting and to ask them to renounce in many cases in front of their peers. Um, one of the things I will say, however, as it relates to bullies, you should understand our position is not to vilify bullies. We believe hurt people hurt people. There are reasons sometimes that these kids are doing that. I even know that from personal experience having had my son who was bullied. He had a, a situation in which he was able to defend himself, showing up in the principal's office and, um, and while he was on the, quote, right side of that equation, uh, my wife and I knew, as did he, that the boy who was angry was angry because he lost his dad six months earlier from cancer. There was a reason he was acting the way he was, and we desire to help those as much as we desire to uh, help those who are the bystanders and the ones being bullied. I want to, in particular, thank those here in Broward County who, were, who showed extraordinary leadership um, Commissioner LaMarca for attending the, uh, the event and supporting us, Broward Super, uh, School Superintendent Mr. Robert Runcie, school board members Dr. Rosalind Osgood and Ms. Heather Brinkworth, uh, District Prevention Specialist Ms. Amy Woods who did yeoman's work to help us execute an event here, and Parkway Middle School Principal Mr. Bradford Mater and Mr. Corey Wilson. They did just a phenomenal job. And they agreed to host Stand Strong. I think they were a little surprised at the, uh, the amount of attention that the event got and the size of the, uh, the presentation there. Uh, but they did an excellent job. It was out of eight presentations across the state, the only presentation at a middle school. They did an awesome job. And it was the only presentation where teachers and students all wore T-shirts saying Stand Strong Parkway Middle School and a show of unity against bullying for the community. So for them, I applaud them. The Parkway Middle School presentation was viewed by over 200,000 students throughout Florida and beyond. The collective tour reached 1.2 million students in 38 states, 296 U.S. cities, 32 countries at no cost to taxpayers. Thanks to our sponsors, Walmart, FAU, Oxbridge Academy, The Heat and the Marlins, and to donors largely coming from Broward County who have a heart to reach kids and to help kids. Um, that's really our cause. We believe every child, regardless of label, every child has a right to emotional and physical safety. And uh, if you would, perhaps the best way to show you what we uh, were able to accomplish is to show you the video. So if I could direct your attention to the video, please. Nick's speech was powerful, and you can tell it really brought out some strong emotions in our kids, and, and I think it will serve as the catalyst for us moving forward to make positive change in, in how our students treat each other. Touching those kids that may have something going on in their lives and telling them they're not alone. 
Incredible message. And if you need to talk to someone, we just want you on behalf of Stand Strong USA to know that every single student in America matters. Put your hand in a fist if you feel like you have no hope in your life because of bullying in your school. If you can say, Nick, I actually feel like I have no hope in my life because of challenges at home. Put your hand in a fist if you can say, Nick, I actually feel like I have no hope and I haven't told anyone. And if your mum and dad has never ever told you these words before, I love you. I believe in you. I am proud of you. Every kid, no matter what age, they all understood clearly what Nick had to say today. And it was, it was awesome. I think that they connected with him probably even more than I thought he would. It's rare that we have an opportunity in life that can be a pivotal moment for us. I've had an opportunity to hear messages about hope, um, about defining your future. I thought it was amazing, and I think our student body was really touched. brother and my sister here, you are my brother and sister, who's, who's teasing some other brother or sister of mine, can you please stop? You want to come up and give me a hug? Come and give me a hug. Stand to your feet if you want to stand strong, saying, you know what, enough's enough. It ain't tough. We ain't going to bully anymore. Stand to your feet right now. shares with you a bit about what we're about. 
Uh, we're not trying to just stir the emotions of the children. We actually want to help them. There is an application, uh, Commissioner Marca, uh, LaMarca spoke of a digital bridge. There's actually an app that has things where they, there are intervention resources, a crisis text line, a 911, a hope line, a friends and family line that they can hit with one button. Also, while on the simulcast, while watching, while those watching live were raising their hand, those watching remotely were voting, uh, could vote on the app. The significance of that is, is that when they voted on their app, if they had no hope, if they indicated that sort of thing, we could reach out back to them without interfering with their privacy to send out a note just to say, we're not trying to interfere, but there are resources to help you if you would please turn to those. It's an opportunity to get the kids who two-thirds will not reveal that they are being bullied to an adult. It's, a, it's an opportunity to get them to, to reach out. So I thank you in terms of uh, the support that we enjoyed this past year in 2015, and I want to thank you for in 2016, uh, in 2016, where Nick will be speaking from L.A., and we'll be doing a national broadcast and uh, sharing that in October. And we will be doing also a number of smaller events, if you will, much as we did here at Walker Elementary in October, where we had John Pritikin come in and speak. Um, and that school, which uh, was uh, where Principal Bullock and uh, Principal, Vice Principal Elegon are clearly on a mission to make a difference. It was palpable there. So we thank you uh, for, the, uh, for the opportunity to share our, our uh, message with your students. And we thank you for the opportunity that you presented to us in 2015. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. <clears throat> thank you, Roy. We have uh, the mayor didn't only create a great name, he created a, an awesome T-shirt for you all to bring home. <laughs> and we want to take a photo with you if we could and uh, maybe up on the, against the dais. For those of you in the audience, please turn off your silence your cell phones. Any member of the audience who wishes to address the county commission on an item on today's agenda, please come forward and fill out a speaker form located on the dais and furnish it to staff. Once the item is called, further speaker signups will not be allowed and you may not be permitted to speak. Stay on point. When you are called upon, you will have three minutes to speak. Please keep your comments to the subject being discussed. We ask that you address the commission in a polite manner and that you refrain from making impertinent remarks or personal attacks. If you fail to do so, you will not be permitted to continue speaking. Please be respectful of those who are speaking today. We do not allow any applause, cheering, or booing during the commission meeting. Any person disrupting the proceedings will be asked to leave the chamber. 
I'm now going to read the Tuesday night memo. Consent items are numbers 1 through 21. I request the following withdrawals and Scrivener error corrections and inclusions of additional information. There are no withdrawals or deferrals. Scrivener's error, item 21. The motion currently reads, motion to direct the county attorney's office to draft an agreement with the Briar County Behavioral Health Coalition, Inc. in the amount of $85,000. It should read, motion to direct the county attorney's office to draft an agreement with the Broward Behavioral Health Coalition, Incorporated in the amount of $84,825. I request without objection that items 23, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 33, and 34 be moved to consent. Item 26, the signature pages have been received. The originals are in document control. Item 34, Commissioner Beamfer is co-sponsoring this item. Item number 6, for additional material, 10 a.m., item number 6, memo to the board submitted by the Human Resources Department and additional material for the public hearing at 2 p.m., item number 5, memo to the board submitted by the Environmental Protection and Growth Management Department. We'll start with uh, Commissioner Furr, and I'll ask if there are any items that he would like to move out of consent. Yes, 27, please. Commissioner Wexler. No. Commissioner Ritter. No. Commissioner Ryan. Item 14. Commissioner Sharif, are you on the phone? We'll come back to Commissioner Sharif. Commissioner Lamarca. Yes, I'm on the oh. phone. Commissioner Shreve, are there any items you'd wish to move off of consent? No. Commissioner Lamarca. I'd like to leave item 34 on uh, regular. Okay. Commissioner Holness. No. Commissioner Bogan. No. Uh, show consent items being items 1 to 21 and 23, 26, 28, 29, 30, 33. And it looks like uh, item number 11 was pulled by the audience. Uh, so that will be staying off as well. Uh, and I forgot to ask uh, county administrator. No. County attorney. No. Great. Um, also, we have items 28, 29, 30, 33, 22, 24, and 25 are the regulars. So we'll start. Uh, may I have a motion to accept the consent agenda? Aye. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Aye. Show them item passes. We'll start with the audience poll which is item number 11. And uh, Mr. Rand, do you have uh, three minutes to speak? Good morning. Good morning. Congratulations, Mayor, well, thank on you. your appointment. I think you're the first mayor who wasn't born when I started working for the county. <laughs> and Thank you very much. I'm glad to have you. No matter that. how much you prepare, you can't, you got to wing it when, when it happens. So, and I wish I had only good news, but the item is air quality asbestos monitoring $1.6 million. And I would be remiss if I didn't remind you of the 40-year-old incident where I had to go in and sweep the asbestos out of the same agency that dumped the tires and chemicals and things. Now, I didn't volunteer to do this because I'm an expert in minerals and chemistry and whatnot, and I was bullied into doing this. And uh, the asbestos killed my sister's husband, several people, and we had to, you know, bury my coworker, who made the excellent maps and stuff, uh, emergency preparedness and all. But um, bullies, it's just not playgrounds. Thank you, Commissioner Lamarca, for bringing this up and all. 
it's just not playgrounds, but it's, it's all through society and life. And there's four types of people, leaders and controllers, and then the followers and the builders. And the followers don't know which, the leader or the controller. But the controllers always throw you into the curb and all. So when I see my coworkers for the funeral, you know, some are enjoying living large and whatnot, and I'm not sure how long I have, literally. Um, so sometimes governments, whether it's uh, Flint, Michigan or whatever, they don't always get it right, and there becomes a political science war. And it's hard for the real science to break through into the political science, which always sidetracks the real science. And as far as bullying, I, I even said the other day at the funeral, you know, in order to get along, you got to go along. And you oftentimes go along with the wrongdoing instead of, go, you know, standing tall for the right doing. So uh, it's a really hard thing to do, though, to stand up to wrongdoing and to, to try to do the right thing, which I always try to do, and that's why I'm standing here. And uh, in New York City, they get medical monitoring for the 9-11, but I only got sent to a doctor once in 40 years. And I was hoping things would get better and it would dawn on somebody what's going on here, that there would be a revelation and a little compassion along the way. Because it's just not about me, it's about so many other people, whether you're in Flint or here. It's much the same thing all around. Thank you. Uh, all in favor signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed, show the item passage unanimously. Aye. Item number 14 is a motion to approve only reasonable source designation of Hanson Corporation PTY and the Negro between Briar County. It's been pulled by Commissioner Ryan. Uh, Commissioner Ryan. Item, item 14 is uh, providing for what appears to be a renewal of a software license agreement for <clears throat> the water department for a 10-year period with an option for an additional five years. And um, I was brought to my attention that the term seemed rather long for this license agreement, especially in light of the fact that it's, it's billing for the utility department and... Um, you know, we're bringing in a whole new uh, computer system, and I just am concerned that perhaps um, the system that we are um, obligating ourselves for 10 years may not be uh, what we have as the most efficient system, say, in three or four years. So I just wanted to have some explanation of why we have such a long term on this license agreement. I did note that in the agreement, it states that Broward County already by, from this provider was granted a perpetual license on the original software, so it appears to be a software upgrade. So perhaps uh, to the county administrator, you have someone on staff that can explain this, this agreement. It looks like there were 22 firms that bid on it, so it appears there's a number of vendors that can provide the service. Thank you, uh, Commissioner. Uh, Mr. Garcia, if you can come to the podium. While Mr. Garcia is coming to the podium, I wanted to um, add that um, we did have some conversation about um, this item. This is uh, the, I believe, Commissioner, that the com computer system that you're referring to is our overall 
enterprise resource um, project that we're program that we're working on, and I wanted to um, make sure that you address in your comments, Mr. Garcia, that this is that any, not just this particular program, but any of the major software uh, projects that will have to be implemented, we make sure that they are, um, they can work well with our ERP system and, and, and not create um, any additional uh, burdens on the project that we have. So, um, but if you can just kind of walk through sure. how we found where we are. Okay, to answer Commissioner uh, Ryan's questions, uh, this is a software upgrade for our existing uh, system. Uh, it's our energy system that is now called Peace. It was uh, taken over by <clears throat> Hanson. The version we currently have is no longer supported. It's, it's that far out of, out of the upgrade. So staff did look at the cost to, to upgrade, get the licensing versus getting a brand new system in and, and having them come in provide the software, implement it. Um, those costs were three to five million dollars exclusive of long-term uh, license agreements. Um, as you stated, this license agreement is for 10 years um, with a five-year renewable. Uh, the reason we go that length is because this is a mission-critical software for our organization, and I believe this is sort of consistent with the, the, the software licensings that the ERP system is gonna have. Um, as Bertha said, we are currently working on um, an interface uh, with the ERP system because when the ERP system was selected, we looked at their uh, billing system. They did not offer a utility billing system and, and, and we felt very comfortable and very happy with the system that we did have. Um, and so we've, we've looked at and we are creating the interfaces. So it will interface with ERP. Um, it won't have an impact on the ERP. ERP won't have an impact on us, but the two systems will talk to each other. Um, one of the nice things about this, this upgrade is it will allow us enhanced web capabilities. Right now, with the, the system the way it is, you know, it's not, you, you can't go online and it doesn't really do a great job of interfacing with, with um, you know, web access for our customers. This new version will give us enhanced access and really be able to, to allow customers go in and see more of their bill and, and, and see it in a, a more effective way, which ultimately hopefully cuts down on, on phone calls to the organization. Um, but we've looked at it and we've looked at the cost of the upgrade, the, the functionality of the system that we have and felt that this is by far the best value um, for the county, uh, for our organization. When the uh, agreement summary was put out, it lists as the, um, the price for or the contract value for a license and the support and maintenance at 1.5 million. So it didn't separate out the license. So I wasn't sure in, in reading this what the actual value was of the license itself. I did note that the item um, that was approved, item 13, was for a um, license agreement for um, the official records software program for a five-year term. So um, that was my concern is that um, I didn't understand the term sure. that was where the, the term was being amortized for that license. Uh, do you know how much the, the value of the license was? Well, the, 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 the cost, and I, and I believe it's a per year cost, so I think effectively it's $155,000 per year. I don't think it's an amortized cost buying it up front, um, and, and I, might, I might not be correct on that. 
I know the total implementation cost to implement the software upgrade cost itself is 146,000. The implementation, the services for the implementation are 731,000, and the license support is is um, uh, 1.55 million. I believe it's I, I believe it's equal payments of, of 155,000 because when we get out to that 10 years, the cost goes up to 220,000 per year for the license agreement for those five renewable years. All right, with that, I, with that explanation, I'll move the item, item 14. All in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed, show the item passes unanimously. We're now on to our regular agenda, and we are first going to have a delegation uh, by uh, Mr. Gus Arango, and it's my understanding that, that the three minutes that Mr. Arango uh, has for us is going to be utilized by a video that he has brought. Thanks. So if you could please uh, uh, show the video at this time. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mr. news after a car crash into that Kindercare on Goldenrod Road in Winter Park around 3 p.m. Troopers, as my colleague uh, Bob Keeling said, that a SUV basically uh, rear-ended the driver of the Toyota. Anxious parents and grandparents rush to the daycare. We talked with one Kindercare parent who says her daughter's best friend, four-year-old Lily Quintus, was the one who was killed. So when I tried to get me here, I saw the car on the wall. So my heart is on my body because I think this is my daughter's classroom. All her friends are there. So, one of the girls that died is my daughter's best friend. At just four years old, Lily Quintus danced her way through life. She had a million princess dresses and was always dressing up, twirling around. But her short life ended tragically last April. A chain reaction crash sent a car plowing through the Goldenrod Kinder Care, the center she attended. This is the worst thing you can possibly imagine. You have to live with this nightmare every single day. You wake up, you're like, was that a dream? No, it's a reality. After the tragedy, Orange County Mayor Teresa Jacobs created a task force to study car crashes as a public safety threat. The findings were shocking. Over 4,000 injuries and 500 deaths a year directly attributed to cars crashing into buildings. Locally, the numbers aren't good. In Orange County, in just 24 months, 73 cars crashed into buildings. 35 people ended up in the hospital. The fire chief says tragedies like the kinder care crash are not isolated and could happen again.
Thank you, Mr. Arango, for, for bringing that to our attention. It's very important. Um, we're now on to item 24, which is a motion to adopt a resolution directing the county administrator to publish notice of hearing uh, to determine whether the population increases in Brewer County justify the issuance of taxicab and luxury sedan certificates. Um, we have a few folks who have come here today to speak on the matter. And the first is uh, a Mr. Diego A. Uh, Castaneda. Uh, Mr. Castaneda. And um, when you're ready, you have uh, three minutes. Good morning, Commissioner. Um, I'm Diego Castaneda. I represent the United Browers of Broward County, the Cab Drivers Union. Um, and I'm here only for the uh, solicitation of a permit for a car drivers only. <coughs> um, car drivers have been suffering for a, a lot of race on, um, in the north, in the lease. Uh, we never have a permit in our group of um, 27 um, years been driving with a lot of guys here in town. So um, already, we already have a motion, a petition. We sent it to Commissioner Honles a couple of weeks ago and to Commissioner Mark uh, Bogan. Um, the permits are really important for us because that lower our uh, payment to the companies and that way we can get a uh, more uh, living for us, uh, the situation getting worse because we have more um, companies right now in town provide transportation in different ways. Uh, we cannot fight those people. They just charge out in the, in the market and we are gonna be always gonna be a car driver there 24 seven for the customer here in town and everywhere. So uh, a petition is only for a those permit to issue it to us. And a second thing that I have here is to, um, um, to regulate uh, the insurance, the premium insurance for those commercial uh, uh, taxi cabs. If it's possible, I don't know if it's a state, see if we can have support for the commissioner here go to the state because they, they we are too expensive. The prices with our premium is, is the one killers and the companies only raise the price every year, every six months they raise the price in a weekly lease for ours. <coughs> so this is uh, our petition with our, our taxi cabs that we have here in Broward County. We got uh, like about 1,500 taxi drivers around plus. So we appreciate it if they consider it for the, this year, put it out, a lot of permits for us. Thank you. Can I ask a question? Thank you, Mr. Constanata. Sure. Um, sure. Oh, of course, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Sir, I, I, I met with uh, several people, and my understanding, though, was that several of the taxi companies wanted the ability to get more uh, medallions permits so they could have more cars on the road, correct? I don't know, you're talking about taxi companies? 
Yeah. I don't know about that. You're I'm talking, talking about, about you, cab you, drivers you, only. So you're talking about the cab drivers only. Uh, yes, sir. And you want their ability to get permits. Permit for so they can take that permit and drive for any company they want? Exactly. So I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Just as for cab drivers. I don't talk about uh, okay. Thank companies, you. just for us. We got in the holding yard uh, um, for Lauderdale Airport and the Port of the Glaze, like uh, 1,500 guys there. And most of ours, we don't have no permit. The company owns those permits, and particular people too. Last year, they put it out, like, I think, nine permits, right? Last year. And people from another cities, from another uh, companies, they got the permit, no one of ours. Okay, thank you. Oh, uh, yes, Ms. Henry. I just wanted to clarify that uh, the, with the content of this agenda item, if, st if, if we were to um, move forward with the medallions, um, because there appears to be the population group that supports it, five of those permits would go to driver only and four would go into the general market. So again, the board recognized several years ago um, that they would uh, try and enhance the number of medallions owned by the drivers themselves versus the taxi companies. Yeah, so it, I yeah, just wanted to clarify that for you. Yes, ma'am, because last year I remember when I put my entries, that was 10 permit for drivers only, and then for the rest of us, which is any civilian can go with the driver's license and pay $400 and that, get in into that, the lottery or whatever it was, right? That's but cool. right now it's the cab drivers only. Uh, Ms. Well, Henry, may, um, may can we, do we have one more speaker sure. still? Can we do that and then we'll bring it up for discussion after? Thank you. Th thank you. Um, the next is uh, Carolyn L. Cadet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Mayor and Commissioners. My <laughs> name is Jalen Cadet. I'm one of the partners of Ambassador Taxi Cab. We've been in business for 15 years in Barwood County. The, uh, the, <clears throat> this Agenda 24, uh, on the 22 and a half, this ordinance, it's long overdue uh, to change. Uh, this is, this is a, uh, uh, modern days ordinance uh, that passed uh, or on to an eight, in 1980, if I'm not mistaken, that can compete with the uh, TNC ordinance. Uh, for instance, TNC uh, doesn't base on the population increase. Why should the taxi cab driver, the, tra the taxi cab, uh, it doesn't uh, have uh, any lottery. Why should the taxi cab should based on the lottery when only, only people could win in the lottery is the, is the people who have the deep, deep pocket? Could you imagine that ambassador can throw only one ticket and uh, somebody with a deep pocket can go with $50,000. Which chance do I have? 15 years, this is the reason that Ambassador Taxi doesn't have any, any certificates. 
And uh, with Uber, how could we compare with that? And one certificate, you issue one certificate, for, uh, uh, 25 certificate for Uber, for, for TNC. Uh, for yearly costs, $4,500. 25 certificate for the taxi cabs, $4,600. That, that's okay, it can match. But could you imagine for the small company like Ambassador, who doesn't have a certificate, he has to list it from the third party. That same 25 certificate costs him $195,000 up to $260,000. There's no balance there. How could we be in business? I asked this board to act with the leadership and vision to change the system for the small company can be part of this so we can have our own certificate. Thank you. Thank, thank you. We have one more speaker and that is Remy Marcel. Good morning, commissioners. Thank you for giving the opportunity to speak. My name is Remy Marseille. I'm represented uh, the United Drivers of Broward. Uh, from each of you guys on your front desk, I did deliver a petition from the drivers. We have more than 500 drivers who request the county to please release permit to drivers. That's the only one we could keep up on this competition. Um, one of the reasons we're asking that is that we want the drivers to be partner with the companies. If the driver holds the permit, the, the companies despite the job, so they're both, they've been partners, so that's why I could call the driver independent contractor too. So they could have the permit, and then the company dispatching, so now the match got more respect for each other. With the driver could have more <coughs> chance now to take care of the car and take care of the family and having less time on, uh, on the street. And uh, we were saying that that's a win-win game for everybody. The company do not need to lease a permit to give to the drivers. The driver be, being paying an average $200 a week to lease a permit. With this, this person who owns this permit, they may not even live in the United States. And they just sit and then get pay, and the driver being on the street several times. I cannot even be able to pay a permit, uh, my, my, my rent, um, not even my rent, my permit at the companies because I'm not be able to make the money. And they're still going to charge me late fee because I'm not be able to pay. So therefore, there are so many things to happen to the drivers, like I could say, that, uh, that, that's abusing the drivers so much too. So therefore, what we've been asking, hey, we do not want to go to Lordway. Because TNC did not have to go to Lordway. Why the taxi have to go to Lordway? So we need to be fair. <coughs> and I do believe on this body, you guys could do whatever you can to left those taxi drivers. Because other than that, by April, eh, this industry might be gone. Got so many people going to be out of work. So therefore, we've been 
beg this body, please take our yeah, petition and consideration to see how we could change the life of the drivers who've been driving at this county, supporting this county for all this time. That's where we live, that's where we spend our money, that's the county we love, that's where we decide to do. And we were asking, we could put a program to see, okay, if somebody been driving, by example, for five years, that's what I decide to do. Just give the permit so you could continue to do it. So we're not asking nothing hard or less than that. You just give them the opportunity to keep driving, do what they love to do and what they want to do. Great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, we're going to come back to the County Commission, but before then, I'd like to give Ms. Henry the opportunity. To no, I, I think I said it all. Um, we, uh, we made a concerted effort to make sure that that when we have this lottery, that we sort of focus on the fact that there are drivers that would like the opportunity um, to own their own medallions. And um, the way that this, uh, the ordinance is prepared and the way in the, the, um, the content of the agenda item that you have, um, five, five medallions, if the board decided to go down this path, would be driver only, and the other four would go to the open market. Thank you. Commissioner, Commissioner Holness. Oh, no, sir, I'm sorry. We already, you have to sit down now. But thank you. Uh, Commissioner Holness. Oh, Mark, were you, were you finished? I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Oh, okay. Well, well, there, there are two main things I'm hearing from the drivers. One, we want these permits that are being offered to be reserved for the drivers only. And, and what I'd like to do is, is find out from our county attorney and, and a county administrator, can that be done and what is the process? And the second thing that they're saying is this. You have allowed an unlimited number of vehicles for the TNCs to be on the road. And as such, we want to increase our numbers so that we can also compete uh, with the TNCs. Uh, that's, that's another question. What do we do there? How do we move that forward? Can we move it forward? Uh, and uh, thirdly, they are talking about the ability to have insurance at a lower cost uh, in order to be able to compete and, and the cost we charge TNCs compared to what the cab uh, gets, uh, owners get charged in the bulk rate that we've set and put in place. Uh, if I could get some response from our county administrator and our county attorney uh, as to those issues. I defer to the county attorney on this one. To reserve all of the new um, permits for drivers only would require a change to the ordinance. I'm um, informed that Drivers not only have permits that are reserved for drivers only, but they may also participate <coughs> in the general um, lottery. But to reserve it only for drivers would require change to the ordinance. Okay. And, and on the issue of increasing the number, we would have to go through a, a change in the ordinance also for that? Well, it's, it's population-based. Um, right. It's population-based according to the ordinance. ask Angela Wallace if she would come to the podium and give you a little bit more detail about what the ordinance provides. 
morning. Obviously, that if it's the ordinance is population based and the issue of having permits being able to be issued, then obviously it's a change in the ordinance. I mean, it's an obvious question, an obvious answer. Ms. Wallace, would you give a little bit more detail, please? Correct. The number, good morning, the number of medallions that are included in this lottery is based upon the increase in population figures. And that's what the ordinance requires. In order to increase that number or change the number, you'd have to change the way the ordinance directs us to calculate the number of new medallions. So it would require an ordinance revision. Okay. And to the county administrator, have we done any research to see what impact that would have, whether it's positive or negative, on our system and what's done elsewhere that you could give us an update on? I'm going to have Mr. Villapano come to the podium. He's done quite a bit of research. I suspect that the research that was done wasn't whether or not it was driver only. It was just the total number of permits in the system and how it impacts or not service. Yes. So basically the most recent report was done for the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency in 2013, which concluded that there's no normal number of cabs per capita. There's no right number. It basically varies depending on, you know, the history of the place where they regulate those numbers. We did some comparisons here in Broward County, and they're in the report that we provided to the board as attachment number five and attachment number four. And we looked at jurisdictions that had limits on cabs, and we basically concluded that we had about 43% less cabs per capita than the median of those metropolitan areas. And then if we accounted for percentage of households with private vehicles, that we had up to 21% less cabs per capita than the median of those metropolitan areas that we're able to get data for. Commissioner Bogan. No, so I just want, I'm just a little confused because the gentleman up who came to speak, I think they're looking for the ability to get hundreds of permits, but they don't want unlimited. You know, it's either you got to have one or the other. You'd see the regulator, it's not regulated. And so everybody that I've heard from still wants it regulated, but wants more permits. But the population base, maybe someone can answer. I mean, why would population be a determining factor when you have a huge tourism? You know, even if we had one person living in Broward County, but you have millions of people coming to visit, doesn't you want to take into account, you know, the total number of tourists, population, you know, as well? Do they take that into account when you have visitors? Mr. Villapano. Yes, as you mentioned, there are jurisdictions that do not have any limits, and that's called open entry. And the county currently does that for vans and limousines for that very reason, so that, for example, the port and the airport, you know, you could have an unlimited number of vehicles. The cabs and luxury sedans were limited per capita, but the Federal Trade Commission did a few studies on that and found that 
there's really no basis for doing so. It's basically up to the, the will of the board and the various municipalities that do regulate. And that's typically the metric that's used. So we are able to look you know, across the country and basically look at other jurisdictions and they have similar numbers of cabs per capita. It's just a <coughs> metric that's used. But for example, in Palm Beach County, they don't limit the number of cabs. And so it really just depends on the jurisdiction and looking at you know there were there were reasons for the for the population basis they were based on things like um, pollution you know clogging the the roads you know th those types of measures were used um, but again the FTC didn't find a significant nexus between those rationales and the limits themselves so so we, so we could have unlimited vans right now we could have unlimited limos we have unlimited TNCs mm -hmm. but we're 43% to 21% less taxis than other jurisdictions Correct. Okay. Thank you. Sir. Commissioner Lamarca. <clears throat> All right. I don't. I, I do have a couple questions and comments, but I know we don't want to get back into the the full blown discussion of transportation. But we, uh, Lenny, I appreciate your 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 information. I think we all want to see the see the information uh, firsthand. Um, but we did say when we when we when we dealt with this issue just a few months ago. Uh, that at least I, I made the comment that I would like to uh, deregulate to a degree what we can with uh, all all transportation and and to a degree level level the playing field. Um, this gentleman that came up to speak uh, make a lot of sense. Um, my personal thought is I don't care to limit the number of permits. Um, I think the free market will do that if. Uh, uh, it'll all, the free market will also dictate the level of service, the driver quality, and, and the car quality. And that will determine who gets in what vehicle and spends their hard-earned money to get a ride. Um, I agree uh, with a couple of the other commissioners have said, and these gentlemen have come here. Basically, what they're saying is this, uh, the system we use is outdated. And it doesn't, it's not our fault, it's just what we were using. We're using a, you know, an archaic system with the taxi uh, industry and we're using high technology on the TNC side. Um, and as far as the numbers, I know the owners don't necessarily agree with the, with the drivers. Uh, I know that the conversation, uh, you know, it's a business. They want to have control over the vehicles and, uh, and their business. And part of that is when we, when we have the conversation of insurance, obviously we, we can't regulate the cost of insurance, but we also should uh, ask the drivers to look if they're driving for somebody else, what is that cost of insurance? Is that being passed on to you? Or is that marked up? Uh, I know that the fee to drive a specific vehicle uh, for one of the companies is about $520 a week, I think. Uh, that's the car. That's the dispatch. That's the uh, fee, which is probably part of the, their license that they own, as well as insurance. So it's, it's in there together. Um, what I would like to do is try to figure out, as we bring some of this information back with Lenny, we don't need to necessarily use a, a population model. But Commissioner Holmes brings up a, a point and said, Commissioner Bogle, we have 15 million visitors who visited Broward County last year. It's not a one. It's not not that 1.8 million people are, is a small county, uh, but certainly we swell at times to, tr to three, four times that. Um, so that the model, I think we can look at other ways to do it. Uh, I think, at least from my perspective, and hearing a couple of the folks, I think the the drivers and really the owners, if there are any here. Should, should be happy that we're open to this discussion, and I think we need to modernize that as well. Um, again, the, the, the quality and, the, and the, the, the value should be there as well. I don't necessarily want to 
tell someone what to charge to, uh, per mile or how, however they're, they're, they're charging their, their customers, but by the same token, we need to make sure that folks can, can uh, definitely have the access for a ride. One last thing is when we had this discussion, we talked about the medallion. Well, we, we really it's a license here because it's not, it's not necessarily something that lives on forever. Uh, what was the number in New York? About a million dollars. In Miami, it was 300,000. Here, it was 100 and change. Um, if, if I, because there were folks that were coming back to this commission saying that we, who is going to refund the money that they invested their hard-earned money into a, into a license or a medallion to drive in Broward County? Well, nobody invested $100,000 in, in a permit with Broward County. Somebody might have invested their life savings into a permit with uh, a person who had that license and they sublet it or however they did it with you um, with those folks because it, it's no different than if you went out and bought a stock today and you thought it was going to be the greatest thing in the world tomorrow or for the next 20 years and the company went out of business. It could be, you know, the, the, those, those values in New York, I think, have come down, you know, 70%. They're like one-third one or less of what they were before. So um, I think we all want to be fair um, and we want to open this up and Lenny's Lenny's our go-to guy for, for data and information on, on transportation. I know, he's, I know he has a million other things to do, but certainly he's been researching that data, and I, I think we need to look at that and see what other models we can use. Commissioner Wexler. I think this is an evolving process here. Commissioner, one of you, I think Commissioner Lamarca, you said about the TNCs being so modernized and being, one of you over there said it was you, right? That that had said that and that the taxi industry isn't as... Um, um, I, yeah, I'm trying to pick the right word because I don't know, because there you can use technology with them too, but, and especially if you go through some of the larger cab companies, but if you go through independence, I don't know that there's the app, and I don't I, 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 I don't know that that we've had an opportunity to collect the kind of data that we need in order to make a decision here. Um, there's two points of view. There's the independent cab drivers, and then there's the owners of the larger companies themselves. And I suspect they have a different opinion about the number of lottery opportunities or, or chances. To, to participate, whether it's unlimited or whether it's based on something. Um, Commissioner Bogan, I love your thought regarding the tourists. It's spot on. Our formula, which seems to be so archaic at this point in time, was based on our population. But so many of the riders are the tourists. So how do we calculate that? How does that? How is that factored in to the whole mix? I, I, I don't have the answer. I'm sure Lenny has the answer. I hope Lenny has the answer. But um, I, I, I'm really sitting here going through the different attachments, particularly the reports from the University of Florida and of the attachment four, attachment five that you have here. But some of them are based on what they were concluded in 2014. Well, in 2015 is when the industry the TNC industry, at least in the state of Florida, exploded. That relevance of that, I think, is important on how we move forward here. This agenda item has already been deferred once. 
based on the fact that we asked staff to go back to the industry and hold two meetings. Those two meetings took place. The first meeting, there were nine people other than your division signing in on the same list, um, Lenny. And on the second meeting, there were three people that attended. In, where I come from, that's not a great deal of community participation. Maybe people decided that they would come here today to speak to the commissioners in, in, instead. But before we do anything, I personally really need more information. I really would like to hear and, 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 and have a dialogue um, with our staff regarding current information. If we, if we flood the marketplace, I, I agree with you, Commissioner Holness, that the, the, uh, the market itself really does regulate itself, but that's as it deals with independence. When you're dealing with the, the, the larger companies, whether it's an ambassador or an inter intercity or a yellow cab or any of these larger companies out there that have so much more overhead, um, we need to hear that voice at the table as well for a sense of fairness out here. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm just not there yet. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, but I know, I know that the TMC industry has had to have had a significant impact on taxi cabs. And so if I'm going to flood the market here, or if I'm going to limit, which is recommended here on this agenda item, and do four, 11 total, four for the industry, at, with, with that, you know, flow, and five of them for the um, independents, is that the right number? I, I have no idea. It's based on the way we did business, not the way we necessarily want to do business going forward. So do we do that and say, okay, gee, we have another year that we don't have to do anything, or do we stop the process now and get good information and move and change our ordinance and move forward the right way? That, that's what I'm struggling with sitting here, Mayor. Thank you. Um, actually, well, at first it's uh, Commissioner Furr and then Commissioner Holmes and Commissioner Bogan. So we're kind of going back around here. Thank you, Mayor. Yes. Um, I, I do feel like we're taking a very narrow view, <coughs> narrow view on this. I appreciate all the comments, some very good comments. But I, I do think this number is very arbitrary um, for many of the reasons Commissioner Bogan brought up as well as others. Um, and what I don't think we're doing is we're not looking at this as part of our overall comprehensive transportation strategy. This deserves to be, when we have our workshop on the 16th, part of that <coughs> workshop. How are we going to fit this into the overall scheme? Because what you're seeing in many communities throughout the country is you're starting to see um, communities try to figure out that first mile, last mile, where buses, where, where uh, people get trying to get to a bus or getting let off of the bus, and who's, fill who's filling that gap? Either TNCs, but it could also be taxis. But not our taxis because we don't allow for share rides. We can't share uh, the meters. You can't do that with that. So that takes them out of that market. But you know what? We need them in that market. That's a, that's a valuable market. It's one that could actually help our entire transportation scheme. Um, when we think of accessibility for people that are, uh, have uh, disabilities and need, you know, it's not, Tops didn't always work for everybody. 
this can be one of those things. And we're not looking at any of those possibilities. Those things need to be looked at in a comprehensive overall package. I suggest that we take a, we consider those at our transportation work, workshop on the 16th, defer this afterwards to afterwards, and then and then proceed. Because right now it's just an arbitrary number. And, and we have, and it's just taken out of thin air. It has no, no basis for reality at all. So I would, I would move, I'm gonna move to defer this till after the transportation workshop. Before and, and hope that we can take this into a more comprehensive package. Uh, Commissioner Holmes. I, I, I do believe we ought to look at it uh, on a broader uh, base than we are now. Uh, and, and I think we have time to do that. However, we have deferred this. There are many taxi drivers and, and others who have anticipated this coming forward. And, and we've put it off already. Uh, I, I believe that we're only talking about nine here. We're not talking about a whole lot. So it's not gonna flood the market. It's not gonna change the equilibrium that exists right now with additional, uh, an additional nine. It will take some time, as we all know, for us to have a workshop come back with an ordinance, do all the preparation. We're talking probably several months down the road. Uh, if, if, it, if, 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 if then it comes back and we have debates and, and, and all of that, uh, to, to, to put this off another time, I don't think it's fair to the people who have been out there uh, anticipating, working towards being a part of this system. I know that today we can't change the numbers that we have because of the ordinance that we have in place where it's nine and we have five and, 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 and four, uh, five for the drivers reserved and, and four in the open market for anyone to participate. So I think that we ought to go ahead and... Yeah, it's a... Uh, the, 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 you, right, you're holding your deferral. Always I believe we can pass this and still do the work that we need to do uh, because I believe that it's not something that we ought to rush either. Uh, you talked about uh, ride share. Today, we regulate the meter. We tell the drivers and the tax industry how much they can charge. We also tell them that if you have one, two, three, or four additional passengers in that vehicle, that fear is still set. Right. Uh, many of them has uh, minivans that could carry seven people. Uh, but again, the fear is set. And, and probably I think it's only $1 for, for each additional passenger that you can charge. That doesn't really work very well. I, I don't believe. I don't think it's very fair either. Uh, so. That's another part of what I think we ought to be looking at, uh, in addition to see whether or not we increase the numbers that we have. One, two, do we reserve them all for drivers, as the drivers here are suggesting? Uh, and what kind of split do we have uh, when we get there going forward? And, 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 and again, look at our cost in terms of the bulk uh, charges that we have, how it impacts the smaller companies uh, by, you know, a company having scale, they're able now to pay less per vehicle than someone who has only one. You know, that's an advantage also for larger entities like the TNCs to be able to come in and bulk 
uh, drivers with a single or, or two or three, four cars are not making any more money than, the, than, than, than those who have a multiple cars. They, in fact, it's the reverse. Uh, so we have a lot to consider, and, and I believe that we ought to go ahead and move this forward and have the time and take the time to do what's necessary to really adjust the system as uh, we believe it ought to be and, and the discussion be broad and inclusive of everyone in the industry. Commissioner Bogan. I agree, you know, Commissioner Furr and Commissioner Wexler, I think there's a big picture here that needs to be looked at. I don't see any harm in, in, in approving 24. It's just, we're talking about nine permits. You know, we're, Lenny already said that we have 43% at least, you know, on the top end of less taxis already based on other jurisdictions. So I don't see the harm in moving 24 forward and talking about a big picture change as well. So I'm, I'm going to be for 24, and I'm also agreeing with Commissioner Furr and Wexler on adopting at the workshop some old big picture as well. Watch, is it a... Do we, I'm going to take my deferral off the table. Okay. Second. All in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Show the item passes unanimously. Um, we're now on to item number 25, which is uh, an audience poll, and that's by Mr. Russell Rand. Um, it is sponsored by Commissioner Furr. Um, Commissioner Furr, if, if Russell may quickly speak on it, and then if you can do that would be great. Thank you. Mr. Rand, when you are ready, you have three minutes. Let the timer go. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say a few things about climate change, uh, which is a long-term slow process and it took like 60 years or so for real scientists who knew about it back then in the 50s. There was actually an article in the New York Times, 1956 I think, um, for it to become a political, you know, on the radar screen of politicians and all. It's really a global issue that's really tough to, to uh, tackle and uh, it's kind of ironic that you're you know, dredging and improving the port to bring in the oil tankers and at the same time that you're fighting the climate and no government's going to stop the climate from changing. Um, some uh, 15 years ago, five years before Katrina and all, I, I wrote, here's a ker kerfluffle. Uh, we went to a, a meeting in West Palm Beach and drove back while the center of the hurricane passed over us which was a terrifying experience, then dealt with the flooded roads and flooded housing. Can we find a better way to deal with this? Up north, they have learned to budget time for the inevitable snow days and the disruptions they cause. And then I go on why we, we can't get time off and whatnot. Uh, it is inevitable that another Hurricane Andrew will come along and catch us off guard. And that was called Katrina and Wilma and all. Uh, those who don't learn the lessons are doomed to repeat them and all. As such, we should plan for the worst and hope for the best and not hope for the best of worst plans. And we, we just had a, a snow event up north that totally shut everything down. And I'm from up north in Minneapolis whatnot, so I, I know what that does. And what I was arguing back 15 years ago and all was uh, shutting down the systems and all. The computer modeling, I'm very impressed it's getting much improved as far as directional, but not necessarily intensification forecasting which is lagging way behind. This is a record 11 years now that Florida hasn't been touched by a hurricane. 
and the El Nino is going to change, and we're going to get into a La Nina or other pattern, and um, and that's the scary monster, much more so than the micro changes in the sea level rise and all, which is inevitable. But you have time to move back and move your house up. Even in New Jersey, what wasn't struck by Sandy still had uh, flooding issues and all, and you can see how how disruptive is, that is. That goes on for days of people trying to dig out, and if you can't, can't get to the car to your mailbox to even get a, a gallon of milk for the kids and whatnot. So uh, I just want to emphasize again that whoever makes the decision, and that, that requires a, a real leader with foresight, because somebody has to make a decision when the time comes, and that's going to be a scary decision, because there's a lot of computer models all over the place. I study these things, and all, of course. Knowing which one is going to be the one that works, whether New York gets two inches of snow or two feet of snow. Again, these maps that were so cool. The green is what's the floods. Get up, back, and away. Thank Great. you. Thank you. And uh, since this is Commissioner Furr's item, Commissioner Furr, would you like to Thank you, Mayor. speak? Um, a, a number of years ago, this commission created a, the, the Southeast Florida Regional Climate Change Compact. Um, I, in, I, what turned out to be a very good regional co uh, partnership. The result of that was a, a, an action plan that, I, that many communities throughout the country are, have, have looked at and have kind of marveled at it, how good it is. And we've actually been able to incorporate it into many of our policies, and it's a, it's a very worthy document and something we can be very proud of. But with every action plan, there, there does need to be a review from time to time and the Climate Change Task Force has been doing that over the last year. And I wanted to know if we could bring up Samantha Danchuk just to kind of go over the process that was there so that I didn't want this just to go to consent only because there were so many people that were involved, so many people helped out, so many esteemed citizens, scientists that were part of this, and, it was, and it's worthy of acknowledging. So, Samantha. Thank you. Good morning, Commissioners. In front of you is the second edition of our county's climate change action plan. Uh, last year we successfully completed uh, over 86% of the original action uh, plans actions. Um, what, and so to talk a little bit more about how this was a community effort, um, Commissioner Furr is the chair of our climate change task force here for the county. He appointed task force members um, to chair seven different subcommittees. Um, in total, we had 21 public meetings in order for us to gather input from residents, local businesses, we had community organizations participate, um, we had universities and students, um, as well as the municipalities, federal agencies. Um, we really wanted to gather everyone's input. Um, and all of the new initiatives that you'll see in the plan come from these really active stakeholders. Uh, the plan has nearly 100 actions. Um, to address the economic, environmental, and uh, social impacts of climate change. It's a countywide strategy intended to be implemented not only by local government, but uh, the community as well, and residents alike. Um, and the actions are focused on reducing local greenhouse gas emissions, increasing our community resilience, um, planning for the necessary adaptation measures in order for us to address the local impacts of climate change, and in all, by implementing these actions, we'll be able to move forward uh, to make Broward County an even greener, more sustainable, and climate resilient community. Thank you. Great. Thanks. And does it, I, I handed out a copy so that everybody has a chance to see it. The, the, the nice part about this is they have done such a great job. I mean, this is an incredible job in terms of the readability of it. The, the, the earlier version was 
excellent in terms of all it had to say. But this one, yeah, this one's nice to read. It's plus that great picture right in the front, page two, very good picture. Um, but in but in terms of developing the icons, all those kind of things, this is when you know we always we often get people asking us. They know about climate change, and they ask themselves, or they ask us, what are you going to do about it, or what, what can we do about it? This is the, one of the things you can actually hand to them and say, here, you're looking for things you can do. You're looking for things your government can do, your community can do. Here, this is it. And, and, and so I want to congratulate the, the, our staff, who, uh, particularly those who, who helped in the readability of it on it, but also in facilitating all the workshops. They did a fantastic job. And this was a, a big hit at the conference down in Key West. I think you're going to see city after city wanted copies. They wanted to, they wanted to be able to take this and make their own and look, make it look like just like this. So it's something that we can be very proud of, and I'd like to make a motion to approve. Uh, thank you. But before then, uh, Commissioner LaMarca. Okay. Thank you for your, uh, for your work, Commissioner. I would point out that uh, I know that there was a nice picture of you in here, but I like, this nice I like this picture of the Hillsborough Beach and Lighthouse where the beach is a bit narrow. Yes. Um, and that's why I'd like to talk a little bit about this. N number one, and I, I don't necessarily uh, look to correct Mr. Rand, but we're not digging the port out for oil tankers. We can fit as big an oil tanker into Port Everglades now. Uh, we're obviously digging for uh, larger cargo and, and maybe the the mega uh, oil oil uh, tankers, but we get plenty of fuel in those bulk uh, tanks, and that's not an issue. But you look at uh, what's been going on. I would say that, you know, I, I think um, I asked for many, many years, or at least the time I've been here, what's the economic impact to all of this, to the development, construction, uh, maintenance of, of uh, infrastructure here. And... I think when you have a person on one side or the other of the political spectrum go out and basically start to tell people what's going to happen in the world and we better do something yesterday or everything's going to hell. And that's basically how this whole conversation started out when we were talking about global warming and then it got cool. So everybody on the other side, ah, it's not cold or it's not warm, it's cold. The climate's changing. I mean, let, let, let's be realistic. Um, we have, I've lived here since 1971. I don't ever remember uh, water coming over seawalls at the, the level and frequency that it does. Um, thank, thank God we finally got our, our permit to put sand on the beach because that was only 20 years and it was 50, a $55 million investment. Um, if the federal government really gave a damn about what we were doing in our climate, really they would start moving the Army Corps to, to issue permits so that we can, we can build in uh, better infrastructure and resilience. Um, you know, it's interesting, I just spent last week, and I'll go over this at the end of the meeting, but last week in Tallahassee with some other coastal commissioners explaining that there was a 5.4 to 1 return on investment for every dollar that's spent to re-nourish our beaches. Um, that's part of our infrastructure. It's part of, it's part of what was affected after uh, Thanksgiving weekend after Sandy a few years ago when we lost our beach. Um, what I have never been uh, opposed to is building in... Uh, better resilient uh, features, better, better construction methods, uh, preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. Uh, what, I, what I probably don't now and probably will never, never be able to do is have somebody else tell me exactly when all this is going to go to hell. I mean, whether it's 20 years or 50 years or 100 years. 
that's not that's not the debate we should be having. I, I had the benefit of spending a few days in New Hampshire la late last year with Dr. Harado, and um, it was a brilliant event put on by uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists and another organization. Basically, probably the last place you'd find me on a regular basis, but they said, let's get everybody, let's put, get everybody together and let's not make it political. Let's make it a bipartisan event and let's talk about what's going on. There was the mayor of Tybee Island. There was... There was a very interesting and colorful mayor from uh, the island just outside of Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, there were senators and representatives from all from from Oregon all the way over to uh, to Hoboken down to down to South Florida. Uh, Patty Asep was there as well. We talked about the issues that were important without making it political. And you know, I, I think I always think that the, our folks in Washington could learn a lot from us, but. For some reason, um, they, they they don't choose to. Uh, we choose we, we see more and more people coming from Tallahassee to move down to county government, probably because they can't do their job there anymore because of term limits. But ultimately, I think we do a lot of good work here, uh, and with the work that Dr. Harado and and Samantha and the whole team did, um, I am absolutely supportive of this. I'm going to be voting with with you, Commissioner Fur. So you should consider that a feather in your cap because the last Green Commissioner could not. Could, wouldn't take the time to get me on board, and I maybe didn't need the votes, but something like this is too important uh, to be divided in any way, even if it's only one one person. It's it's something that we need to make sure that people understand. Look, they can do the the fighting in Washington. That's fine, but we have real projects that that require our help and require us to get involved. So. Um, it's your item. You can move it, but I'm definitely supporting you. And, and you, have, board. you, of course, didn't mean the three good folks that serve up here from Tallahassee. Isn't that right? You know. <laughs> no, you guys were all out of work before you came down here. You didn't, you didn't come right back down here, so it's different. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, uh, the item's been uh, moved and seconded. Uh, all those in favor signify. Oh, I'm so sorry. May, may I just, of course, please. Commissioner Holmes. Thank you very much. You know, we, we are the dominant species on this planet. Uh, we have more impact than, 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 than any, any, any other entity on what happens here. Uh, so I believe it's really incumbent in us preserving uh, our habitat where we live. Uh, it is essential that we ensure that we have good, clean drinking water. This is addressing that issue. Uh, it, is, it is essential that we ensure that we're not doing things to deplete the resources that we have. And, and this is a part of that address. And we also must adapt. And that's probably one of the uh, greatest attribute we have is that we are adaptable. We're able to adapt to situation and circumstances. We, we are now advanced enough to be able to even forecast what might be happening. And, and this, is, this is a part of, of what we need to do. So I, I applaud you for your efforts uh, and support you strongly and ensuring that we're doing the planning now. We don't wait until it happens uh, to say, hey, uh, we'll actually have more than it is now. Uh, Commissioner Lamarca talked uh, about the water coming over uh, more often than, than before. <coughs> it's clear, we can see the evidence of what is happening. Uh, again, we must adjust and adapt to ensure that we continue to be on this planet. So I, I applaud you for your efforts and wholeheartedly support you. And I just want to... Uh, our, our efforts. Our efforts. Hey. Our efforts, correct. I and I do add, second your motion. I just want to add my, my thanks to you as well, Commissioner Furr, and also, of course, to our incredible director, Jennifer Harado, and her staff. 
uh, as we are definitely lucky to, to have the, her and the great work that they do. There's been a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Show the item passes unanimously. Uh, we're now moving on to item 27, uh, which is a motion to approve the request for proposals of water conservation outreach and communication consultant services. It was uh, pulled by Commissioner Furt. Commissioner Furt. Thank you. I, actually, I'm in support of that. This, but the um, what, if if I'm not mistaken, what is what we're doing is hiring a consultant to kind of help on the outreach effort on this, and really, it, it doesn't make sense to just tell people to to conserve water without giving them the reason why. It doesn't make sense. They need to, there needs to be that linkage. And so what I wanted to incorporate into the scope of, the, of that was this 24 through 34 of this action plan. Incorporate that into the scope because that deals with um, the, some of the reasons why um, we, we need to be conserving water. Um, when, I, when, I, when we look at, when I looked at that and, and I see uh, that we, we've had to close well fields in Hollandale and things like that. People don't know why that is. They don't, and, and when we've, we've just recently got a lot of new modeling that's showing the, some of the concerns we have on the coastal well fields. Most people don't know that. So when we start to ask people to conserve water, we need to make those connections. We need to let people know why we're asking them that, what's at stake, and that should be part of our message. So I'm asking for that to be part of this, uh, part of the outreach effort. And I make a motion to approve. As amended. As amended. As amended. Second. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Show the item passes unanimously. Uh, we have one final item on the agenda, which is item number 34. It was pulled by Commissioner Lamarca, but it's my item, so I'm going to uh, start if that's okay with you, Commissioner Lamarca. Um, last week I received a phone call from our former colleague, current state representative, Kristen Jacobs. And uh, Kristen asked if I would bring this to the county commission. Uh, this resolution to support a House bill and a Senate bill that uh, she is involved with and for she is the sponsor. Uh, I will say I wish it, she had contacted Commissioner Furr because uh, I think it would have come, been more appropriate coming from him because he is our point person on climate change and these types of issues. Uh, but under the Sunshine Law, of course, I couldn't speak to him and I couldn't ask Commissioner or Re Representative Jacobs to contact him. Uh, so I did bring it. And what this does, it is uh, sponsored by Commissioner, uh, by Representative Jacobs and Senator Clemens. And it creates an interagency work group of state agencies to share information and coordinate state efforts to address weather impacts. Uh, this interagency group prepares an annual report to the governor, the president of the Senate, and speaker of the House, which will assess existing efforts underway in state agencies to address the impacts of weather events. The annual report is also uh, will also be posted on each agency's uh, website. And this is important to us because um, it actually says in here, the report, uh, an annual report detailing the state's efforts will support and strengthen the activities taking place in Southeast Florida and elsewhere in Florida to prepare for and respond to weather-related impacts, thereby maintaining Florida's economic vitality and extraordinary quality of life for decades to come. And so I think this is uh, a good bill. I'm very glad that Commissioner Jacobs, now State Representative Jacobs, is continuously champion, championing our environment. And so I'm, I was proud to put it before everybody today. Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you, Mayor. And Commissioner Furr, you'd be happy. I usually don't tell people I'm voting before I talk, but you'd be happy to know that I'm not, I'm not against this in any way. Um, the, the whereas deals with the little dose of reality that we deal with on a regular basis that costs us a lot of money and a lot of money and, and, uh, and our resources. 
Uh, vulnerable to weather-related impacts, check. Including flooding, check. Storm surge, check. High tides, check. Top tropical storms and winds, check. And saltwater intrusion of drinking water aquifers, which is why, Commissioner, for as you as you're aware of why we're having problems with our, with our wells. <laughs> um, the only thing that I wanted to do, and 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 it was interesting because being in this group, I believe last um, week when we did the the, uh, the beach efforts in Tallahassee, um, that we were all county commissioners. Um, I believe we were all on the same uh, same uh, side of the church as the as the majority, and the folks that we met with in, in appropriation, things like that, everybody was, was extremely positive and excited to talk about issues of, of, uh, of our coastal communities and, and, and really the climate and other things that we're dealing with. So, um, the only thing I want to caution us on and, and ever, and I know uh, Commissioner Jacobs, uh, now Representative Jacobs was our colleague, um, I just always caution anyone with us telling what, this is, a mo this is a support, so it's fine, but on one side of a support, there's also an opposed by the other folks. I just don't want to poke anyone in the eye or, or uh, rile anyone in Tallahassee up who may or may not be for something and not necessarily this, this bill, but, um, I think everyone knows what I'm saying. I mean, we, we have a lot of needs and, and requests from Tallahassee and appropriations, whether it's DJJ or whether it's $50 million for beach funding. Uh, I don't, I don't know that anybody would be opposed to this. It doesn't seem offensive from even from some of the folks that are there. Uh, that being said, I want I want to support it. I just want to caution us not being too aggressive on things. And, and certainly I think a, uh, a statement of support is fine. Commissioner Furt. Thank you. Um, and I appreciate that very much. The uh, Representative Jacobs actually presented this at the conference down in Key West and was very, um, she, she, was, she knows it's, it's a hard sell. It's a heavy lift to try to bring things that uh, they're dealing with this topic. This is, this is simply something that is a sharing of information that can, do, that can, do only, can only help any, both citizens and agencies pull together information when they're trying to make policy decisions. And that's why I support this. It, 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 it's pretty innocuous in that way. But it's also in terms for citizens and for, for people like ourselves as policymakers, it's always good to have more information. The, the better the information, the better decisions we can make. So I'm going to support this as well. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else wish to speak? Is there a motion? There's a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Uh, show the item passes unanimously. Um, I just wanted to, to reference that we still have, of course, Commissioner Sharif up on the phone up there. And um, uh, so thank you for, for continuously staying with us, Commissioner Sharif. Uh, we're now going to move on to the mayor's report. And I have a few things I wanted to bring up. The first thing I wanted to bring up was I truly enjoyed uh, something I think is pretty fascinating. Uh, Commissioner Ritter and I were able to attend the Honey Bee Micro Apiary in Oakland Park, Florida. And honeybees are incredibly important to Florida's agriculture and to our economy as a whole. And the president, some time ago, had asked local governments and others to step up and to work hard to save and preserve the honeybee. And I was uh, very thrilled to attend that. The other thing that I was, I had, I was excited to attend, I, Commissioner Wexler and I attended the Area-Wide Council on Aging's Board and Advisory Council Installation Dinner. Um, I was actually, you know, I, she's very young, but I was very honored to be there with, I think, the youngest uh, 
honor uh, youngest um, uh, Hall of Fame member, uh, which would be yourself, Commissioner Wexler, the youngest, you know what I mean? I mean she's younger, she's young, you know what I mean? Um, and it was, uh, I thought it was uh, very well done. Uh, uh, Edith Letterberg uh, presented us with an award the count for the county's 20-year uh, participation. And um, Edith then took back the award uh, because <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna be coming to the county to present it to all of us as a whole. Um, and uh, another thing that I wanted to bring up, I, uh, Mr. Schifrell, he was here before, but he's been contacting me on an issue that I think is, is pretty interesting. Um, as you know, if you drive around Broward County, you see a whole lot of signs to a whole lot of places. You have signs to our airport, which is great. You have signs to Sawgrass Mills. You have signs to Lockhart Stadium. But what he informed me was, and this is true, there are no signs directing folks uh, to the VA clinic. And um, he asked that I bring this up, and to me it seemed um, important to bring up. Uh, I spoke with county staff about what what the process would be to, to bring these, to, if, the, if the county commission wanted to add some signs to areas to help folks. And it appears that the main roads that would be needed are uh, Commercial, Knob Hill, the Florida Turnpike, and 95, and they're all FDOT controlled. Uh, and staff indicated to me that even though we don't have the authority to require signs there, we can actually request of the state uh, to be considered for those signs. And so I wanted to ask the county commission if anybody would object um, giving direction to the county administrator and county staff to reach out to the state and to uh, request signage for folks trying to get to the VA. Executive Mary? Oh, of course. Just, just to, I think that's a great idea and 100% support it. one. I think, I, I, as you get off like uh, Commercial Boulevard on 95, for example, there may be a sign that says Lockhart Stadium, Baseball Park, whatever, you know, or Tamarack that way, it'll late list the cities. I think those are certainly appropriate places and, and maybe coming off of the main arteries, but no, I think we would be supportive of it. Great, Thank, uh, Commissioner Ritter. Thank you. Uh, I would also <clears throat> ask that you get in touch with Dr. Reimberg, who's executive director over there, and get a letter from them Absolutely. also supporting it so that we're not out there all by ourselves mm -hmm. like we usually are looking for something from the state. That's a great suggestion. That, that would be great. Mayor. Yes, of course. If I, if I might add, if this um, direction also includes us um, trying to get some relief if we have to do it legislatively because I've had a conversation uh, with our region of FDOT and um, they have uh, indicated that that's, that's not something that they can support currently um, because of the way that they have, um, I guess they have uh, criteria for um, how signs can be placed on in, in the right of way. Um, so we've had the conversation at least twice um, I think that they would be supportive, but they may need to have a little bit of a push. And so if, as long as this is broad enough that should we find another alternative to do that, um, we're authorized to do that as well. I would be fine with that as long as nobody else objects to it. Great. And our own signs, those green informational signs. We make our own signs. That is really not the issue that right. the, the state has criteria for what kind of signs you can place. Uh, on certain right away right. Uh, right. so we need to again it's their right away we need their permission um, and even within our right away we follow their guidelines so we we would need to um, work with them for them to get a little bit of relief if they wanted to add something like that that's medical 
oriented. I, you know, their, their concern is the proliferation. If this is medical, they allow it for hospitals, uh, we're just asking for a little bit of a tweak that they would allow it for clinics. Okay, that'd be great. And thank you, Mr. Schaffrell, for bringing this to our attention. And also, if uh, staff could incorporate Commissioner Ritter's suggestion as well. And Absolutely. Mayor. Great. Oh, yes, of course, Commissioner Sharif. Mayor. Uh, yes, Commissioner Sharif. Yes, can you please make sure that I'm shown voting in the affirmative? I'm not sure when you stopped hearing me, but I've been voting. Oh, we, uh, we uh, please show Commissioner Sharif has voted in the affirmative for uh, every item that has come up. Thank you, Commissioner Sharif. Um, I have one more item that I wanted to just bring up briefly, and I had asked the, uh, the county administrator to just quickly respond. Um, as you know, prior to uh, our current consolidated E911 system, there was a very fragmented system. And it's well known that in that fragmented system, you had significant amounts of misdirected calls. And those calls significantly increased at times the response time for first responders to be able to get to the scene and provide people treatment. When we consolidated our system, from my conversations with staff, I think it is undisputed that the misdirected calls that occurred before have been significantly cut down, which is a very good thing. Um, but of course, there have been some other issues that have arisen. And I've asked uh, Ms. Henry uh, to give us an update as to the steps that she's taken so far so that ultimately we can address those issues. Uh, I know that Ms. Henry has um, hired a consultant, which I think is a very good thing, who's going to be uh, uh, determining what the great things that we do, but also where we need improvement. And I was, wanted to ask her if she has an idea of the timeline for the report, and then afterwards, and after we receive that and get that information, if it would be the will of the board, I just think a, a workshop would be appropriate. And that was why I wanted to bring it up today. Ms. Henry. Thank you. Um, commissioners, there are a number of issues associated with communications, uh, regional communication system. Uh, it includes a number of items. Uh, I have a very brief presentation that we provided to the Broward City County Managers Association. It's actually an excerpt, so it's not as long, but it's, it's, it's trying to make sure that when we're having the conversation, we're all on the same page. While Mr. Jefferson is getting that presentation pulled up for me, um, I want to, uh, I think it's important that we, not only do we give um, uh, thanks and gratitude to the, harp, the people that work these systems, let me just start with our regional communication staff. Our regional communication staff, which you will see in a few minutes, have a number of projects uh, on their plate, and they have um, they have been working steadily um, to uh, get these programs and projects implemented. Um, while we may have had a change in leadership, the the people that are on the ground um, actually moving these projects forward have been with this county either through Broward County or the Sheriff's Office for a very long time. So they're not new at what they're doing. So I want to make sure that that's clear. Also. As we start to talk about the dispatchers, um, um, I know that the, the the most recent incident that's made the news um, is it's something that caused all of us pause. But I um, I have to say that that was uh, more and more that's becoming an anomaly. You'll see in a few minutes that the system is finally. Um, turning around and that we're seeing improvements. And that's because everybody wants a good system. But 
two years, that's all we have to have implemented, and then it's, it's a huge system. So I would beg the indulgence of everybody. We are working um, to improve this system, and there's a gr uh, much greater transparency on how we're doing than was done in the past. I assure you that a lot of these issues occurred before. You just didn't know about it. Um, but now, um, through the greater transparency, um, we're able to really track what's going on with the system. So, uh, Mr. Jefferson, if you can go to the slides, please. So, we have several projects uh, going right now. We have the radio replacement, which is huge, computer-aided dispatch, we just um, move forward with um, major computer system for that. We have a local government radio system that's um, um, being implemented. There's the whole dispatch, which is obviously uh, one of the major uh, issues and cause of consternation, and the issue of closest unit response. Next. So let's start with the radio replacement. So basically we have a consultant, and the consultant is called Mission Critical Partners. Um, they were brought on board to first and foremost assess the radio system, and they are there to develop specification for its replacement. We've all known that our system needed to be replaced during the downturn in the economy. We took a, um, where obviously no one had 40, $45 million to replace the system. We, um, um, the, the current staff uh, was able to um, give us some short-term fixes until we could get to the major system, which is where we are. So at the end of the day, this new system will build in redundancy. The system itself will have a lot of redundancy. Also, um, it's, it's designed with the new tower sites and receiver sites that we really want to increase um, coverage inside buildings like hospitals and places where there's a lot of dense structure, a lot of rooms. And again, um, in addition to the redundancy built into, into the system itself, we're looking to um, provide additional backup. We do not want to be in a position like we have found ourselves uh, today where a major uh, storm occurs and, and um, the system um, we have an electrical strike and the system goes down and we don't have a big, a major backup system. Uh, so those are all the things that we're working on and this new system will do for us. Next. So ultimately, uh, the, we have a regional and a local agreement uh, with municipalities. That regional um, interlocal agreement talks about who has responsibility for what. Um, the county through uh, the charter change in 2002 is responsible for the major infrastructure and equipment. And this for, at this point, we're talking about radio replacement only. And the subscriber units, meaning the handheld radios, will be the responsibility of each jurisdiction and other pager and uh, ancillary things. We are ready to go. Uh, we will bring an item to the board um, this February. Uh, we're looking at pre-qualifying some uh, as part of a process, a two-step process where we pre-qualify some vendors and then with those pre-qualified vendors, um, they go through uh, the traditional RFP process. Again, this is huge. Uh, there are a lot of moving parts, interoperability, um, and um, there are not a lot of uh, companies in the marketplace that can do that or have history in doing that. So we would like to um, pre-qualify and then move forward. 
Um, next. Next. Computer-aided dispatch, again, people, there's another major com uh, computer system that you purchased uh, for $4.2 million in 2014. Um, this system uh, obviously had to be put in place, and it is now being uh, developed. What happens is when the calls come through the 911 uh, radio, it goes through this huge computer system, and it starts to take that data and allow you to do various and sundry things with that data. Um, it tracks your vehicles. It provides records, paging, E911. So it's a very robust system. But again, it is a separate project and there's a separate team working on getting that project up and going. And again, um, at the table with us in this implementation um, would be police, fire, um, and a number of other um, partners. Next. So let's talk about the local government radio system. Um, today, your parks and recreation staff, your traffic uh, engineering staff, and a number of other county agencies are on the main public ra uh, safety radio system. It's your system. Uh, you allow your agencies to be on it. But as the system um, started to become, um, I would say, uh, crowded, uh, we, uh, this board agreed to allow us to create a, a local government radio system um, that is actually scalable to include municipalities should they like to, to use it. And um, at this point, the sole purpose, at least the initial purpose of this, is to make sure we create more capacity on the existing 800 megahertz, uh, megahertz radio system, um, which will only be used by police um, and fire we will actually start the uh, migration to that new system in a month or so. So again, we've been working on that for quite some time. Next. So this is where we, talk, we start talking about the uh, dispatch program. So we began consolidation um, uh, shortly after uh, the board made the decision. We began that process after the board made the decision uh, to um, provide for funding for consolidated um, dispatch. So it um, was approved in 2013, it com completed in 14. Um, our role in this process, and I know that sometimes things get confused, but our role in this process is to make sure that the performance standards that this board, the iBoard, and a number of other um, participants in this system agree should be the metrics by which we should judge ourselves. And um, so we do that and report on saying. Um, the sheriff's office is currently the operator of the system and does so um, um, via contract. And municipalities um, participate via interlocal agreement um, and they um, by far make up the majority of the members of the various committees and subcommittees that guide the operations of the system. Next. Again, the, this program measures the time a call comes in until a, uh, a call uh, is dispatched, and they call it the life cycle of an emergency call. And I'm not going to try to get into that with you today. Go to the next one. Um, and this gives you all of the uh, performance me um, metrics that we are currently uh, measuring. These come from um, the National Fire um, um, Agency, and uh, they provide standards um, by which communities should strive. Next. 
So the reason I, this chart, if you look towards the bottom, if the, you'll see a trending down. Um, Broward County is the E91 operator for the state for this county. So we collect a lot of data that we report to the state. The state requires that we, um, that we provide them with information on whether or not we can dispense with 90% of all the calls coming through our system within 10 seconds. And you can see, if you're the further down you are, the better you are. So in this case, uh, your defect rate is what's uh, lower. So you can see that there's definitely a trending down. And this is for all of us, but what I will say to you today, that if you notice that in 15 with consolidation, um, we're, um, we're at that number um, from a consolid for all of us, just under 12%. If you look at the performance of the consolidated system, we meet that target. Um, 100%. Next. Um, this is one of the issues that we all, and the mayor raised this issue about whether or not um, how we're doing with the 911 calls, um, the transfers, and this is data in a chart, but what I want to say to you is before consolidation, we we're at around 12% call transfer. 12% of the calls coming into the 911 system was transferred to another PSAP. Uh, today we're at less than we're trending less than one percent in the consolidated system. So again, uh, made significant progress in that regard. Next, this is a chart that talks about um, the standard that Broward County uh, imposed upon itself. And when I say Broward County, we're talking about the about the broader Broward County. So we're also including the uh, municipal uh, participants when they, when they did the I, um, through the I-board and they came up with their goals and their standards and performance measures. But this is one of the ones that's caused uh, some consternation and it's about our ability to make sure that for the busiest hour of each day that we're able to get 90% of the calls out within 10 seconds, answer them within 10 seconds. And what I would, um, if you see nothing else, if you can look at this chart, you can see that the numbers are trending up. We have a little work to do, but generally speaking, it is trending up, so you can see that there's been significant progress in that regard as well. Next. Uh, this is an area we uh, certainly we want to work on, and this is qualitative versus quantitative. What this means is um, when the dispatcher uh, uh, receives a call. They want to make sure that uh, within 90 seconds that call is dispatched. And this one you want to take your time, you want to get it right because it's about the quality of the information that the dispatcher is giving the, the uh, first responder and not so much speed. Speed is important but also quality. Next. Uh, we hired Fitch and, consult, uh, and Associates. Um, they will, um, you know, I, I've I think it's important that we all talk about when you implement something as huge as this, um, you need to step back and take time to take a look at it. And oftentimes, uh, when people have vested interest in, in the outcome of that study, you get, you get an indep independent entity to take a look at it. So that's what we did. Our goal is just simply to make the system better. 
and um, we're looking forward to uh, them completing their work within the next 60 days. Next. Close it. Next. And at the and as we get close to the end here, this is where you do all of this because there was a charter change in, th in 2002 that says that the closest unit should respond in an emergency in Broward County. The closest unit. Uh, so, and you have invested millions of dollars to make that, um, to at least on your end, to make that happen. What um, has transpired, a, a pilot program was uh, implemented, it was successful, the, the technology's in place and it works. Uh, we now need um, a countywide plan with standard operating procedures and policies. Um, the police and fire chiefs have indicated that they are, they're working feverishly to work with that and it's gonna require municipalities to adopt auto aid agreements. Finally, finally um, what uh, in, in, um, in conclusion, or I wanna close with, um, you know, it was one of the major um, recommendations that we have a more transparent system, that we know what we're doing. And prior to consolidation, um, you just didn't have a lot of data. You weren't managing by data. Uh, today there is, and the goal is to get better. And so we look forward to the consultants doing their work. We look forward to replacing the system, and we look forward to um, working uh, with all of our stakeholders to make this um, better. Um, I would indicate that um, all of my conversations with the sheriff himself have been positive. Uh, he wants to see improvements. So uh, when the consultant does what it's doing, I'm hopeful that whatever recommendations there are for both of us, we can get them implemented and continue to have a good system. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Henry, and thank you for your proactive work in this matter. Um, with that said, uh, we'll now have commissioner's comments. I'll start with Commissioner Furr. Thank you, Mayor. Um, just an update on, on the garbage. <laughs> Um, it was brought up at the, and I thank you, yeah. um, County Manager, for bringing up there. And what, what is good that came out of that is there's a subcommittee now of city managers who are going to be looking at the issue. And I think that's, that's well, good that's progress. Nice. So we'll, and then after that, after they meet, we'll, we'll meet with them again. Um, I am interested in trying to get, and I'm, and I'm waiting to hear from County Attorney on this, whether or not, uh, we, we don't have, there's a, a lack of information with our child care licensing having to do with how much, when we, when we go to license and renew a uh, child care center, we get all kind of information, we, uh, mainly on the physical environment, uh, everything, but we don't get any information on the number of workers or the credentials, the certifications. That's kind of, we, we kind of need that kind of benchmark of information so that we know if we start to look at wanting to increase the standards of, of certification, where are, we, where are we going? What is needed? It, it really comes down to how much money it may require for um, increasing, for, for allotting money or slots for, uh, for certification. When we start to look at the, the big issue of pay there, and most people know, most of the people working at the child care centers are it's minimum wage. And those two issues, we can't get a handle on it until we have the kind of information that's that only we can be asking, or the licensing aspect of that. So I think we need to add, to include within our renewals, when it, because every year I believe it's renewed once, I'm not sure how that works exactly. But one of the things we should be asking is, one, how many people are working there, and what are their certifications? 
uh, whether it's a, whether it's your basic 40-hour certification, or do they have a CDA? Do they have a master's degree? Where where are we? So that we can get a big picture of the um, of of that I industry uh, in this county. So I'm asking our county attorney to look into that and see whether or not that needs to be done by ordinance, or whether or not it needs can be done administratively. And I, I'm hoping we can get an answer from that at the next meeting. Okay. Um, lastly, um, we had brought up the with regard to the taxis. I would I would like to ask that within our transportation workshop that that be included as a um, as a as a subject to look at how they would fit into the overall transportation scheme and see wh where uh, when and where that they could be uh, included in both that first mile last mile aspect of it with regard to allowing for share riding which uh, Commissioner Holness was just bringing up those kind of things and seeing where they could where it can make our, our transportation system better on a larger scheme. That's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to briefly, first of all, I, I appreciate the way that you handled the request today, Mayor, from um, a number of stakeholders in this community regarding E911. Um, we almost had a mini workshop here through this presentation, there was a great deal of information that was provided to us um, by the county administrator. And the conversation is complex, but the most important takeaway is that previously there was not data. There was not the collection like we do now, like the county staff does now. So that measure of performance and it is critical. I look forward to a workshop. I think that the consultant that has been identified to come on board is um, going to do a great job for us in many, many areas. You may not remember, but there was a request for an increase of millions of dollars for funding for E911 this, this year that part of the look-see of this consultant is going to be how dollars are spent, if more training needs to be done, the whole organization itself. I chair the 4C committee. We meet every other month out at the EOC. Um, Mr. Jefferson is the county administrator's appointment to that, so we have to be very careful as far as our conversing with each other, and believe me, it's been painful as far as this topic is concerned. So um, typically, I'm in direct communication with the county administrator. I, I, I really appreciate the way that you handled it today. I think that I think that we need to see what transpires as a result of this, and it would be very appropriate to make sure that when we do workshop it, we have the whole picture. I want you to remember, you didn't. One of the things you didn't put on there, um, Miss Henry, was when we actually concluded the consolidation piece yeah. or when the clock really started ticking. And that was a year ago, just a year ago, really. So consolidating from not those nine, because two remained as independent PSAPs, but nine down to um, a regional system was really for a county of 1.8 million 
people a yeoman's task and i don't think that any community we're going to find out that undertakes this is without challenges so again good report this was a mini workshop without q and a but i think the presentation that you did if you could make it available for us i you're okay to do that yes okay um, i look forward to seeing that because it really captures the whole thing of what we all the moving parts and with that again thank you and thank you for your very hard work on this for a number of years now, Commissioner Wexler. Commissioner Ritter. Thank you. Um, thank you for that, Commissioner Wexler. Unfortunately, there are too many in this county who like to make mountains out of molehills. Um, and with the advent of the Internet and electronic mail, it's just gotten worse. Um, I, um, uh, Mayor, when Mayor Kerr and I attended the, um, the opening of the micro apiary in Oakland Park, it was really a neat event, and I know there are probably some of you who are scratching your heads and saying bees, but the sustainability of the bee population is critical, and the Department of Agriculture, both um, in Tallahassee and in Washington, D.C., have made it a priority. I think what, um, it was great that it was in Oakland Park, a city which is highly cooperative um, with the county, but about six months ago, I sat down with some of the members of the Broward Regional Health Planning Council and the bee community. And yes, there is a bee community. Yes, there is. Um, they have, many of them have apiaries in their backyards and with our parks director to try to get the prototype installed in a Broward County park. Um, Mr. West was kind enough to put together an ad hoc bee policy committee and staff it. Um, and they had a couple of meetings, and the, the goal was to work toward the prototype in one of our many county parks, and that did not happen. Um, and we've been waiting months for the, the answers, which, well, I guess we've gotten answers, but they're not particularly satisfactory. Um, Oakland Park managed to do this in what, in government terms, is a blink of an eye. And... Um, get through all of whatever hurdles our staff thought there were. And I would hope that since it is possible and since the, uh, there, are, there are grants available from the Department of Agriculture and the Broward Regional Health Planning Council has offered to pay for the installation of the uh, micro apiary, which is hurricane, built to hurricane standards and pad padlocked so people can't just walk in, that the next one could be in a county park. <coughs> they require about a 10 foot 10 plot of land and um, in, in, in a county park and we can then move hives from people's backyards and trees uh, into controlled environments where the Africanized bees can merge with controlled hives and it actually mellows all of the bees. That's a good thing. Um, and I hope that we can become a leader in this rather than following the cities in their um, in their B programs. So I hope that that was a clear message. Thank you very much. Very well said. And nobody got stung. It is true. <laughs> Commissioner Ryan. No comment. Commissioner Sharif. Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you, Mayor. I know I was not here last week, so I hope you reserve that time for me. Um, <laughs> A couple things. Um, actually, the last uh, 
couple of weeks had some very very interesting opportunities to, to advocate for uh, a couple things. One is our beaches. I'm going to pass some of these out. These are the handouts that we were given uh, by the group that we put together with FAC and with, with uh, Debra, Debbie Flack with uh, the Florida Shore and Beach Preservation Association. Um, just reporting on that, that effort. Uh, um, we met with... Uh, we met with at 8.30 in the morning, uh, we met with uh, Senator Latvala. That's when he likes to meet. Uh, nonetheless, he's going to be a probes chair. We had, uh, we had a good meeting with him, followed by the uh, President of the Senate, uh, current President of the Senate, incoming President of the Senate, uh, Representative Albritton, who works quite a bit with Representative Kristen Jacobs on a lot of, the, a lot of this uh, climate policy. Uh, we rounded out the, the second half of the afternoon with the Speaker of the House, Steve Christopoli, and Senator Alan Hayes and Senator Tom Lee. Um, it was productive, and in with the, the, the effort and the mission was to get $50 million out of dock stamp uh, slash Amendment 1 money put into a reoccurring beach renourishment fund and remove the the uh, advocacy of each district representative or senator uh, from messing around with the priority and give that to the Florida Department of Environmental Protection. Uh, when they come up with a priority list, the 50 million will fund X, you know, or one through 10. Right now there's 110 projects applied for, uh, I'm sorry, 51 projects applied for and it would be over $100 million in, in funding. So the, the effort is basically to have a reoccurring fund uh, let the Department of Environmental Protection prioritize those, but very important is uh, Representative Albritton has put together House Bill 877, and w within it, it uh, it talks a little bit about one of the what I felt to be a very uh, important yet lacking uh, element of the rating system. Uh, obviously, the environment, environment, the uh, impacts to the to the beach and to the uh, marine life or coral or anything that's 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 in that and their process uh, previously was important for prioritizing but uh, we had 15 million visitors and 13 billion dollars spent here and 62 percent of those people went to the beach so I, I, I said figure out how to put in a uh, an economic component and that's what that bill has so we hope that will get through um, there's a lot of uh, you know as soon as we uh, as soon as we we uh, had the first meeting of the day um, I know Com uh, Commissioner Sharif uh, as, as fact president will probably bring something forward with the the other uh, issue that's out there about the the split on DJJ but he, I, I think in having this beach conversation he said hey I've got a, another deal he kind of moved to this conversation so um, we could see some productive things I think out of Tallahassee this year um, second thing is the uh, is the trip that uh, I took as part of the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance the, uh, two weeks ago and the, the trip was to Austin Texas and you know, some might say, well, Austin, Texas, South Florida, there's no ocean there. There's a lot of things that are, that are different. I think everybody got one of these in your mailboxes today uh, from the Alliance. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things about the, the way the trip was laid out uh, is it followed our uh, Six Pillars program, which is our statewide strategic planning, and the committees that were, that were uh, put together, which was interesting to follow our plan, best, best business practices, uh, we had transportation infrastructure, education, uh, health care, and there's another one. 
and we and quality of life. Um, so they kind of followed our six. They followed our six pillars, and there were there were about forty nine people on the trip from all different uh, parts of our community. You'll, it, it, the book is excellent because it'll show you who went, who we dealt with, and we started the tri- the the uh, mission out with uh, the mayor of of Austin. Now, interestingly enough, Austin is one of uh, nineteen cities in a five county area that's known as Greater Austin. Um, we unfortunately have what thirty. Eight cities, 31 cities, and 34 cities in our tri-county area with 6 million people. So it, their identifier is clearly that, that Austin's in the middle of all this with UT and the state capital being there. Um, but we talked about a lot, of the, a lot of the same issues that we have dealt with, traffic, congestion, uh, complete streets, safe streets, uh, living within an urban uh, corridor, uh, dealing with uh, ride sharing, something they have not accomplished. They have not accomplished uh, the, the light rail or streetcar project that we're, we're already down the road on. As a matter of fact, as progressive as uh, you would think that Austin is, I think it was described by the former governor and actually everyone there happily as the, the blueberry and the tomato soup. Um, they, they did not pass the, uh, the light rail project as it was put to the, to the citizens. But um, the, the projects that they're doing, uh, I think we learned a lot. I think what I would say that the one thing that, uh, that stood out from everybody, whether it was education, with uh, David Armstrong and, and uh, Tony Abate and, and Jennifer Anderson from, from you know, our three institutions, really is that uh, we, have a lot, we have a lot of things that we've accomplished in South Florida, uh, in Broward County, in our region, uh, by the leadership on this dais and in our cities that, uh, that they have not done. I mean, clearly they have all the benefits of having a, the, the extremely high-tech industry there, Dell and, and other companies. Uh, and, and entertainment venues like South by Southwest and having a, a, a common thread of music uh, and, and entertainment in their community. Uh, but we have, we have a lot of uh, natural resources and blessings that we have here in the form of people and resources that, that, have, gotten us th- uh, that have gotten us to places that I, I believe is further along than, than they are in, in certain areas. Um, anybody has any questions with regard to uh, any of the specifics on the trip? I would be happy to ask or answer them. I know there was a concern about public tax dollars used. There were no public tax dollars used on the trip. Uh, everybody, this was a private private investment side, and you know that's that's one of the issues. That you, if you get the South Florida Business Journal, Iman Reiser, who is one of the journalists for for uh, South Florida Business Journal, uh, was there with us and did a did a, uh, a cover and a, a couple different articles on that. Um, and the last thing I wanted to highlight, and I know you all probably, you may or may not get Florida Trend, but uh, our friend and my neighbor, Colin Brown, is the Floridian of the Year from Broward County, from JM Family, and uh, if you read the article, you'll see that it's a big, big factor in, in picking him out of the state of Florida and 20 million people is that uh, uh, not just for minimum wage workers, but for all workers under, uh, I believe it was $70,000, um, he raised everyone a minimum wage uh, up to uh, a lot higher, almost double, and uh, other other mid-range salaries up to uh, higher than than market. So I think uh, that was that was one of the things that people took notice with. But um, that being said, so I have Commissioner Holmes. Thank you, Mayor. Dreams do come true. In 2002, I was part of a leadership group that petitioned this county uh, for 5.4 million dollars to build a performing arts center in. Lord of Hill. The board then was gracious enough to allocate those funds to us 
even though we didn't have the best presentation. In fact, we didn't get the money that was on the table. Uh, but thanks to your vision and your leadership, uh, we were able to get some other funds that you were able to find. This Wednesday, we opened 1,200 seats performing arts center in Lauder Hill with, with an orchestra pit, a fabulous facility. Uh, we, we thank all of you here uh, on the board that were here then uh, and those who came after. Uh, we had a $392,000 interest uh, fund that was uh, from the funds that were there. And I know, remember that night I lost the vote, but thanks to you, th <laughs> thanks to you, Commissioner Wexler, you reversed it and we were able to win. And, and, and the folks at Lord Hill expressed their appreciation also to all of you uh, for, for, for allowing us the opportunity to build a facility that will now work to help to transform central Broward County uh, in that it will bring uh, many people into that area uh, we will then be able to expand on building restaurants and, and even the possibility of a hotel on the 14-acre uh, site that's adjacent to this facility that's sat empty and blighted for probably about 20 years now. Uh, so the Central County area is well on its way to uh, economic redevelopment and rebirth. And, and again, thanks to all of you and to our staff uh, for making this happen. Uh, we still have some challenge with parking, and I hope we'll be able to uh, get that taken care of in the future. Uh, heartfelt thanks to all of you. Great things are happening in our libraries. Uh, on Wednesday, January 27, the African American Research Library and Cultural Center will have a free credit repair and bankruptcy seminar. Many people have lost jobs, gone through divorces, still struggling to recover. Uh, from the Great uh, Depression. The seminar begins at 6 p.m. The African American Research Library and Cultural Center is located at 2650 Sistrunk Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, folks will learn how to rebuild their credit, what is entailed in following uh, Chapter 7 or Chapter 13 bankruptcy. On Saturday, I will have the honor to attend Delta Signa Theater Sorority's Founders Day celebration at the Diplomatic Golf and Tennis Resort. They'll celebrate 103 years of service to communities all over the world. And the Founders Day celebration will be hosted by Broad County, Pompano Beach, and South Broad Alumni chapters. Each of these chapters have done a lot of work within our community. And in case you weren't aware, the memorial exhibit of the life of the late Carlton B. Moore, who served us well for more than 20 years, is being held at the Dillard Museum at 10109 Northwest 4th Street in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, the display will end this Sunday, uh, and the display is open Monday through Friday from 11 a.m to 4 p.m. Thank you. Um, I have a half an hour presentation that I'd like to make. <laughs> now, I want to just ask uh, Commissioner for, um, are you on the child care, um, do, do you know the employees have to do background checks? Yes. They yes. do? Yes. It's required right now? 
Yes. How about seniors, uh, that the aides that go into seniors, they require ba background checks? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I have nothing. Let's go to lunch. Wait, uh, county administrator? No. County attorney? County auditor? Awesome. We are adjourned. <laughs>